Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. John Epperson. Hello. Matt Smith. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Starting to get the Rails remote conf stuff together, so keep an eye out for that. We have a special guest, two special guests this week, and my Spanish is horrendous, so I'm sorry in advance. We have Gonzalo Rodriguez and Braulio Martinez. Hey, hello. Glad to be here. Your app is slow, and you probably don't even know it. Maybe it's fine in most places, but then the customer loads the page up, that one page, and after a couple of seconds, their attention disappears into Twitter and never comes back. The reality is there are performance issues in your app, and they're affecting your customer experience. What you need to do is hook up your app to Scout APM and let it start telling you where the slowdowns are happening. It makes it really easy. It tells you how slow things are and what the problem is, like N plus one queries or memory bloat. It's also built for developers, so it makes it really easy to identify where the fix needs to go. I've hooked it up to some of my apps and I saw what I needed to fix in a couple of minutes. Try it today for free and they'll donate $5 to the open source project of your choice. Just go to scoutapm.com slash devchat and then deploy it to your app. Once you do that, they'll donate the five bucks. That's scoutapm.com slash devchat. Do you gentlemen want to introduce yourselves real quick? Let us know who you are, why you're famous. For sure. Well, not sure if we are famous, but I'm Braulio Martinez. I'm a software engineer. Gonzalo Rodriguez, also a software engineer. We have been doing Ruby for the last 10 years. And yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, Gonzalo here. Yeah, we with Braulio, we are, we're uh, friends from uh, university and we are, are, are both cross with, uh, with him and uh, Marcelo and Sebastian also. And we... Uh, Started Cirucode a couple of years ago to join our knowledge in Ruby and yeah, our passion in, into that and, and open source software also. Yeah, Cirucode, uh, we are both co founders here. We're a small team of engineers that help other companies grow in time, being in size and expertise. We help them grow their engineering teams. And yeah, as Gonzalo said, we have a strong passion for open source. We have a special piece in our hearts for security related stuff. And we have been mostly dedicated uh, to the WebAlfan ecosystem for the last two years. So, yeah, that's pretty much us. Very cool. Why did you call it Cedar Code? It doesn't sound like a very Spanish name. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. It was really hard to come up with that name. It took us a long time. It's, uh, you know, kind of the kind of wood you use in, a, in furniture that lasts long. So. Okay. We see ourselves as engineers that build software that it's it's designed to last, that it's durable. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to give us kind of the 10,000-foot view on what WebAuthn is? Sure. So there's the motivation, uh, but maybe we can come a, a, bit, a little bit to that after we kind of describe what, what WebAuthn is. WebAuthn, it's an open standard that defines a set of rules for APIs that enables users to kind of strongly register register and authenticate on web applications using public key cryptography. It's not the formal definition that it's defined in that open standard I was mentioning, but it's kind of how I put it into simpler words, actually. So... Yeah, then there's maybe it's a, it's better if we try to 
what that try to describe what that means yeah, for each of the for a user or a web developer. Yeah, for for example, uh, to put it in simpler terms, uh, what's exciting uh, for you as a as a as a user of the web uh, when you're using a, a web browser is um, instead of a for example, if you have a, your bank account, which you want to keep as secure as possible, and you you, are, you use a, a user, uh, you have a username and a, uh, and a password on this on this side, and of course, this, the the bank uh, website uh, enforces a second factor, uh, which can be uh, either an SMS uh, code uh, or a or, or an authenticator app, uh, or called the OTP uh, applications to enter a code. In, instead of uh, uh, using this uh, second factor, for example, you could use uh, your your web browser can ask for you to touch the, for, for example, on the Mac, the Touch ID, or if you're using a mobile phone, a web browser through a mobile phone, you could use the fingerprint reader to to uh, to signal this second step or other devices like uh, USB dongles and attach them on the on when well, as, as a second step so uh, from from our users per perspective this is uh, exciting that you can use as a second factor on, on different web uh, websites uh, something that is has stronger security but at the same time uh, has a very decent to great user experience instead of uh, reducing the the user the the user experience on on behalf of greater security, which has been the the past the most common uh, thing that happened in the past with 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 security that instead of uh, gaining user experience, you were uh, degrading user experience when you get more security. But this is what is exciting about wealth and that it gets you. Uh, stronger security uh, without degrading uh, the user experience in general. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you said that it was uh, uh, public-private key cryptography. So how does that actually work? So then you, we can look at uh, from the perspective of the of actually the, the web developer and why you would want to uh, support this on your website. Uh, the, the way that it works for, for you as a web developer is... Uh, there's two pieces uh, for a web application. Uh, there's the JavaScript piece, and then there's the backend piece. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the JavaScript uh, side, you're, what you are using is are the, the the APIs that the web browser natively implements. So uh, so the standard defines what the what the JavaScript APIs that the web browsers need to implement uh, for you as a web developer to to use, and the web browser will communicate with the uh, with the user uh, device on behalf of you. So the web browser in this in this case is like the the middle the, the middleman. So you you when you want to register one of the these devices or authenticators, you can might might call it. You call this JavaScript API to create a new uh, credential or public key uh, public key keeper. And what you get back as a web developer uh, is the public key credential, the, the, the public key piece of the credential, and the, the device uh, keeps the, the private key, of course. Uh, 
so then you store on the database uh, next to your user uh, public key that later can be used, of, co of course, to verify signatures that were signed with the private key that this device keeps stored next to the, to the user. So that is the public public private key uh, piece. So this, this, this is for web developers, the, the, the exciting thing is that this brings good user experience around public key uh, cryptography, which has been there for a very long time, but there wasn't a very good UX around that. To complement a little bit what uh, Gonzalo said, it's uh, the, the basic, the basic way uh, most uh, web applications work nowadays, you have like this shared secret, which is the passwords uh, between the users and the servers. Mm -hmm. um, and the actual verification, when you, for example, try to log in after registering, uh, it's done in the server. And the server is also there responsible to store that shared secret and store it right in a way that no one else can know. Uh, that's well, thing changes this paradigm completely because uh, given that we are talking about this credential concept, which is the private and public keeper, the only one that it's going to be responsible to authenticate the user uh, after that, it's, it's going to be the, the, the actual device that the user holds, the authentic, what Gonzalo called the authenticator. And that changes things completely, and the server is going to stop uh, storing something which is uh, it's no longer a secret. It's just a public key, uh, but that's because the server is no longer responsible to perform the authentication completely on, on their side, on its side. And so WebAuth then, it can also use a actual physical key fob to do the authentication, correct? Correct. So um, another very exciting thing about the WebAuthn uh, standard and, and how it's open is that any, a lot of devices can uh, act as an authenticator on behalf of the user. So that the, the user can use array of different devices that are compliant with the WebAuthn spec and can communicate with the web browser just implementing whatever, whatever the spec says that they need to implement. And in, in summary, what they need to do, what they're capable of doing is on demand, creating a public and private keeper and uh, responding with a public key and storing the private key in order to uh, create signatures later on. So this opens up the possibility of a, a USB key fob doing that because it's capable of uh, creating these keepers and performing another uh, another other set of uh, verifications, which is not interesting uh, to go into detail, but in, in, in the core, it is the, the possibility of creating this public and key, uh, public and private keepers. So that could be a USB key fob. It could be the something on your laptop, like um, in, a, in the case of a Mac, uh, the Touch ID uh, driver, creating this public and key uh, and, and um, private keepers. Uh, it could be the on, the on an Android device, the fingerprint reader uh, also. So the Android operating system, uh, Key store can create these uh, credentials for uh, and communicate with back to with the browser. So 
uh, it's written, the standard is written in a way in which is general enough for anything to become a well-authenticated authenticator uh, just by, by implementing these APIs and, and being able to perform digital signatures uh, based on these key pairs. So that, that is the exciting thing. So uh, as time uh, goes on, uh, more devices are be becoming standard, standardized in a way that they can uh, be used by a user in different websites. So for example, right now, uh, GitHub uh, supports this and you can go into your profile and on, on your GitHub account and register what, what they call a security keys, which are actually what we are calling well-authentic credentials. And anything like any, any of those things that I mentioned can be used uh, when, when you get the pop-up asking you the web browser, for example, the Chrome web browser asking you to touch your device when, when you ask uh, GitHub to register a security key. So security key is like a general. very, very general broad name to uh, name uh, the fingerprint reader on your mobile, the key fob, or any other thing uh, that can uh, be uh, compliant in the other one. Yeah, a compliant device. So uh, one of the challenges in one of the great challenges for well of them is it's around nomenclature because <laughs> finding a finding a, a a term so that is intuitive enough for the user to understand uh, what can what can be what what a name can represent all these all these different devices is something very challenging. So, for example, uh, GitHub uh, opt opt to name it security keys, and we'll see whether uh, with time people uh, it's it's intuitive enough to understand what what this stands for. But what, that is one of the uh, of, of the challenges in the industry that needs to overcome is that making this intuitive enough for the users to understand what are the possibilities. But the possibilities are there, and that's what's exciting. Can you speak a bit to the, like, give us a succinct history of WebAuthn, because it came from um, another standard and then also kind of the adoption of all of the browsers and devices, and then also what's left in terms of uh, gaps in that, whether it's yeah. browsers or whether it's certain devices, whether we can use Face ID on iOS products. Yeah, I can. I, I can speak to, to that. We are we're not involved in the in the. So th this is something that uh, I, I I think we it's it's been uh, something that in the industry what, what wanted to be solved for a long time, and I think uh, one of the what is called the FIDO Alliance, the first identity online alliance. Uh, came together in order to solve that. And, and we are not associated, just to be clear, we are not associated or are not, um, not, not members of that. We, we, we just got interest in, the, in this and, and build uh, help with adoption on the Ruby ecosystem by building the web of NGEM. But we, we were not, we, we didn't take part of, uh, uh, of, the, of the development of the, of the standard, but what, what uh, it, Going to your to back to your question, uh, what I understand is that uh, when this uh, it became clear that uh, there there needed to be an, a, a better solution for strongly authenticated on the on the web, given that phishing attacks were 
very prevalent and the passwords uh, were also a very insecure way of uh, storing secrets as Braulio was, was saying on, on the database and very prone to, uh, to hacker attacks. So uh, uh, the first step in, uh, in, 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 the, in the path, I think, was uh, to the, the U2F standard, which stands for universal second factor, which was developed between, uh, by Google and Ubico and uh, later adopted by the FIDO Alliance. And that you can think that as a predecessor of Web of M or Web of M being an evolution of U2F. But what uh, Web of M uh, has that uh, U2F already had uh, and what U2F first uh, started um, providing, uh, it was, uh, U2F was only focusing on, the, on, 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 so on solving this, the, the second factor of the authentication. So it wasn't actually tackling the, the password pro problem. But what it, what it had in common with WealthN is that it, bring, it bring, brought uh, the interaction of uh, putting public and private keys uh, creation on, the, on, the, on this USB fob, fob key. So um, that was kind of the first step. So that there was this uh, uh, Ubico USB uh, key fob that were able to create uh, this uh, public and private keeper in order to be able to, with those digital signatures, provide the proof to the, to the web server that this key fob is present next to the user. So that, that, was, that was kind of the first step to improve the second uh, factor. And well, I think it's kind of an evolution of that and actually making a... What, what is different from, the U, from U2F, what, it, what is key, is that the FIDO Alliance and the W3C became together in order to this be written as a W3C recommendation so that web browsers actually are encouraged to, uh, to implement this. So U2F was not a, a, a W3C recommendation, so the implementation on the web browsers was not great. So Chrome implemented in the, uh, in the, uh, the, uh, in the past, but other browsers did different implementation. Uh, so WebAuthn became more of like a web industry standard and it added uh, other improvements yeah. around U2F. Yeah, um, maybe to talk a little bit more about how we started with all of this. The standard um, started, the, the first draft came up in May of 2016 or something like that. And we started, um, uh, we started working around the idea, uh, I mean, getting interested into Web Ten itself around May of 2018. At that moment, it was just a candidate. The standard was just at a candidate stage. And Gonzalo was, I mean, checking news. I think it was something about Mozilla's news blog post or something. And he said, hey, we have, I mean, there's nothing in Ruby that does all this cryptography uh, heavy lifting for you as, as a Ruby developer if you want to do this in your application. Um, so, yeah, we started... Uh, by like looking at the standard, reading, understanding it, and and trying to to figure out what we could do for a, 
I mean, a general Ruby user that wants to have all this in, in its application. Uh, and we evolved us and uh, together with uh, the standard evolution as well, because the standard started going forward and had like, since it started and it became a, a, an actual recommendation standard, we had like 11 versions and we had to evolve the library together with, 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 with you know, the standard itself. And that was, that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's still it's still evolving, uh, it's but still evolving, the, yeah. the core is there, and there's already uh, great support from browsers and platforms. The last one was I, iOS, uh, like iPhones. The the Safari web browser on 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 the iPhone was yeah. the, uh, the last piece uh, that came to the puzzle, and uh, yeah, adoption has has been great uh, yeah. so far. Um, in terms of API, yeah, when we started, pretty much it was. I think there was only uh, Firefox and a, a few a few options yeah. to actually build and test all of this. And as as things evolved, I mean, we started seeing many other actors joining. In terms of implementation on, on the client side, the last one was probably yeah Apple. Uh, it was that wasn't a, a move that we were sure it was going to happen, but. We are so happy that it did, and they actually uh, joined this force in the standard and working on standardizing all of this. Um, and then there's maybe the question was also wondering about adopters in terms of web application that's, that started doing uh, adding WebAuthn to their stack. One of, I mean, one of the early adopters we see, for example, uh, the, one of the first companies that started using the library was uh, Login.gov. They kind of were one of the first adopters we got, and it was helpful because we saw a real use case uh, out there in the web. Yeah, which is they they have the, their application is open source, so you uh, you could see that how they implemented that uh, from the start. Yeah, many others have come after the after login the gov. Uh, we saw GitHub, Shopify. Nowadays, most of the big companies. Uh, are using WebAuthn as a second factor. Yeah, that's the first, the making it your your uh, an option for the second factor. The, for the second factor was kind of what we imagined because it's the natural first step towards like an ideal future of actually being able to get rid of passwords all together. So you would say say at this stage it's fairly safe to. Well, you certainly can offer it because not everyone is required. It can be an optional second step. You can still default back to SMS or email, second factor, all those archaic methods. Yes. So right right now the, the trend that we are that, that we are seeing is that as you as as you said, uh, this is being added as one of the second uh, step options. So you still have the the password uh, as like the first factor in your authentication system. So this is like a shared secret between the user and the on the web server. This is like a knowledge factor. And then there's the second one, which most of the of the websites out there have a SMS or uh, as one of the options OTP authenticator apps, and then WebAuthn uh, or you can we we can call it security keys. Maybe that's one of the terms that is becoming like a de facto standard uh, using the security key term. 
that is the current trend that we are seeing. Uh, it's it's great so that users become so. Uh, there's a learning learning curve for users, of course, and getting uh, acquainted with the idea of attaching a device in order to you to to perform the second step. The exciting thing for the future is that the possibility is there for this to be to become uh, both the first factor and the second factor at the same time. So there's a possibility of uh, websites dropping the password altogether and just using a well-authent uh, compliant device to perform the two steps. And that, that is the user can prove the possession of the device and at the same time, per, the device can perform what is called a local user verification with the user. So you as a web server can be sure that the, the, the device perform uh, the local user verification in, in for example, uh, fingerprint read verification. And that is only, and that is local, that, that verification is local to the user, to the device and the user. As a web server, we don't, you, you as a developer, you don't store any, uh, so this is important in terms of privacy. We are, the, the, the web server is not storing anything, any personal identifiable information. We, you, you still uh, store the public key that this uh, device provided you. It's just that you, are, you can uh, ask the device to perform this fingerprint uh, scan or in the case of Windows, the face uh, scan that Windows Hello has or any other thing that can be implemented in the future that is actually using biometrics. But, but it's, it's very important to state that there's no uh, personal identifiable information going all the way to the web server. It's only that, that, verifica that biometric verification is only uh, performed uh, on, the, on the actual user device. So that, that, that's also very uh, exciting that, that users can, uh, that, that websites can actually forget in the, in, in a, in, in a future, in the future about the, the, the passwords and just uh, enforce this local user verification on, the, on this web of compatible devices. That's really nice because I sometimes hate putting in my passwords to some middle ground sites that you're like, I have no idea how they're storing this, uh, this password. That yeah. yeah, and there, there's, the numbers are quite scary, you know. Um, one of the things we learned, it's like there's, there's a, a common number that it's in a few websites uh, with the corresponding sources. But for example, 81% of all breaches are related to hacked passwords, for example. So that's it, the numbers are quite low, for example, for people that actually uses any second factor. It's like 28%. So um, passwords are a really bad user experience, as you said, as well, uh, in many ways. Uh, so, yeah. 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 In order to get to this uh, future in which uh, we can drop passwords, uh, to, to be honest, that there's some room for improvement still on the, on the well-authent ecosystem. So, mostly around um, how to handle uh, lost devices, uh, how, how to do account recovery. So we are used, about, we are used to just uh, 
this forget forget password links uh, in uh, everywhere and and it's so nowadays with the password it's fairly easy to recover your account by just saying that you forgot your password so in order to uh, get to into a state with uh we can drop passwords we we there, there's still room uh, there's still improvement need to be made on on how to handle a account recovery with uh well authentic devices but there's work being done on the, on that and we are hopeful that that improve, improvements will be made but it's it's, it's quite exciting how, what what can uh, what the possibilities are for the future around this yeah i'm excited to see webauthn supporting something like face id for the phone so i think that would almost kind of solve the issue around losing devices because those little key fobs, the little USB keys that you plug into your computer, which act as essentially your password, that's definitely an issue for me being able to always keep track of that, especially mm-hmm. if I'm on the go a lot. Because either one of my kids are going to grab it and then lose it or something else is going to happen to it, then I'm locked out of essentially everything. But having something like a Face ID and being able to do a biometric authentication would be really cool. And I know that in the United States, at least, there's been a lot of uh, biometric legislation passed in various states, which Mm -hmm. actually actively prevent websites and stuff to gather that information. So to hear that WebAuthn will track the biometric data only on the actual device that you're not transmitting that, you're going to transmit a uh, public key or something to the service instead. I think that's really helpful for the future. Yeah, so um, that's right. Um, so yeah, you, you store just the public key uh, on the website and what, what, what that does is just, uh, it proves that uh, it, it, there, there's a link between that public key and, and, uh, and the private key that's stored on your phone in this case that you, you are talking about the face ID. So, so if you lose your phone in, in, in that case, you will need to have some backup system, so some, another, another security key register for you to, to have a, a backup. Because if you if you use the if you buy a new phone and you you use the face ID on that new phone, that will reach, that, that will create on that interaction will create a, a new key pair and that will yeah. won't match the public key that's stored on the website. So we will still need. Uh, yeah. What is probably going to happen is that you you need to use this uh, like. Face ID, biometric uh, uh, interactions to actually perform your day-to-day authentications, but you still need to register these backup security keys. For example, maybe having um, a key fob that you use to just yeah, have a backup, backup uh, in case, you, and you can store that in your home or somewhere somewhere else. That that would be the current way of uh, back, back, back backing up. up your your accounts. Uh, but there's, uh, as I was saying, the, uh, the, it's still early in the in the process. But there's some work being done on the on the Fido Alliance on how to do that without having to have a, a backup device and being able to migrate some of the of the key material with with in a secure way, of course. But that's yeah, yeah, that's something that that might happen in the future. We'll, we'll see what 
Yeah, the, just to, to throw a headline, the experiments or the, the actual um, discussions have been around uh, allowing some devices derive uh, keys from others. So, for example, you say I have a, a this key, a security key, this Ubico, for example, security key, and I'm going to allow uh, my cell phone to derive uh the keys from from it so then you can register everywhere you want uh, github facebook etc etc and if you lose your phone uh, you won't have to uh, go to each of those sites and have registered the backup uh, that will be like done automatically by being able to derive uh, the keys uh, from one device to the next so that's kind of the headline and it's complex and we are not really involved into anything like of that of those discussions but we have read about them so yeah right that sounds a little bit like um the signing keys that web registrars use for ssh keys yeah the same kind of idea yeah so you know it's authoritative because you know that uh, i've authorized that key to represent me and then Yeah. yeah of course what i really want is i want it to be put into blockchain and i want my phone to use machine learning to identify me my smell (laughs) <laughs> and then, right? And 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 then we'll put it on the iPhone. We'll call it iStink. Anyway. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe something. <laughs> but it it just you know it, it sounds a little bit funny. You know, I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek, but I mean, you really could do it off of any kind of thing, then, right? As long as you're comfortable with the way it identifies you. Yeah. Um, anything as Gonzalo said at the beginning, it's like. Any platform, anything that can create these uh, these keepers and 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 can uh, return data in, a, in in the formats that the the standard specify can become a, a device and, and yeah. So you said that this is already in Chrome. Uh, yeah, so the web Open MBI it's implemented in Chrome. Yes. Okay, yeah, so the iOS. API is there. So you need a plugin then for it. No, it's native in the in the browser. Yeah, if you get yeah, to so, a off screen that requires it, like on GitHub, then it'll actually pop up a Chrome modal that says insert in your USB key. Mm-hmm, yep. And if you're on an iOS uh, device, now I think it was 11.3 or later, they added in where it'll actually use the NFC, the near field communication, mm-hmm. that if your USB dongle supports it, then you get a pop up on your phone and you just kind of tap it or get it near your phone and it'll do the authentication that way as well. Yep. Yeah, we have done the so, testing ourselves to, to, to actually, that was really exciting. So, uh, yeah, so so this is uh, this is widely adopted in terms of web browsers. So um, Chrome, Firefox, uh, Edge, uh, Safari, both on the, on the iOS and OS X. So, it's widely adopted. Uh, there's uh, some big players, big, big uh, um, websites already supporting this. Google, uh, Microsoft accounts, GitHub, Dropbox, Shopify. It's 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 out there. Uh, you can you can as a user you can already use it. Uh, and um, in terms of the communication, so just to uh, go back to the, the maybe the basics. So. Uh, there's the web, the web server, the web browser, and uh, the security key. Let's call it or the authenticator, uh, authenticators. We will call it uh, before uh, the communication between the web server and the web browser. 
is by by uh, by using the JavaScript native APIs uh, that that are supported by all these browsers right now. Like like you would use any of the other JavaScript APIs, the DOM API or or the Bluetooth API or whatever whatever uh, something like that. And then the communication between the web browser or the platform to to the to the um, security key. There is it can be USB. Uh, Bluetooth, Bluetooth, or uh, near field communication also. So there's a lot of possibilities as um, mm-hmm. as you were mentioning also. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby on Rails? Maybe you were sad that you missed out on some of the interactions you could have gotten at RailsConf, but you're still not sure you want to travel because of COVID-19? Well, I'm putting on a Rails Remote Comp. We're doing it in August, and it's going to feature a lot of your favorite people from the Ruby Rogues panel and other friends and neighbors across the community. So if you want to join in the fun, come watch some of the RailsConf video talks with us during a live watch party online, and then come see all of the live talks the next three days. Then come check us out at railsremoteconf.com. That's railsremoteconf.com. Dave, I hear you on the um, not wanting to use the USB key, but the nice thing about the USB key is when you switch iPhones, you still have the USB key, which... (laughs) You know, for those of us that have been using this or Google Authenticator for years and some of the Google Authenticator applications don't transfer from device to device. And so when you get your new one, you've got to have both of them and switch everything over. And um, yeah. Yeah. Right right now, the recommendation, for example, uh, some websites, what, what they're doing is actually enforcing that you register at least two keys, two security keys. As I was, I was saying previously, uh, it's like... You use one of those as an easy one, uh, like the ta- something like the Touch ID or um, something in, my, in the case of Microsoft, uh, uh, the window, Windows Hello, something like that. And then the other one would be the the actual the, the actual UV key or something like that that you use to uh, switch between device the registering different devices. So or or, or as a backup. But uh, some websites are actually um, asking you to register more than one, uh, like for in order to, to be uh, safe on your side. Um, other zones, uh, we'll see what the what the trend is for the future. But still, uh, websites are are supporting the other uh, second factors, of course, also as a as a as a way of uh, as a backup, also. So SMS and OTP also is still not dropped. Nobody nobody is still dropping that those in favor of web event. So it's, it's still a process that uh, it, will, it will take probably a few uh, some, like years to see what the, what the trend is. Yeah, yeah. and just, just to clarify, this is a second factor, right? So you still have to have a username and so, password or some other method of authenticating so, alongside it. So the trend, so right now it's been, uh, so like you, could, you, can, you can think of uh, by default, it can be used as a second factor because uh, every uh, every device can prove the proof that is sent into the web server is that the user has a possession of this device, right? So you mix that with the uh, with the uh, with the user knowledge of a of a secret like the password, and you have like a two factor authentication. So the possession of the device and the and the knowledge of the password. Yeah, that is I was like, just imagining that somebody steals your USB key or something, right? So you want that other user factor, user knowledge right. factor. 
Right, of course. But then there's the, the you, you can think of Web Authentic having this other like uh, layer on top of it uh, or uh, this other premium feature, which is it, the Web Authentic uh, compliant device can support what, what you can call local user verification. So it's not it's not the case of the of the norm like the the normal UV keys, but for example, if you are using uh, the the touch ID of the Mac, then it it in the same tab it's actually performing two proof. It's the proof of the possession of that device, and at the same time there's a verification of the fingerprint between the device and the user. So if you lose that Mac and someone else taps that touch ID, it won't work because the the fingerprint won't match and that won't release the private key to perform the signature on the response. So the, the authentication won't work. In that case, if the device is performing local user verification as a web, as a web server, you can think of that as it's like you're getting two, uh, two factors on the same interaction. So in that case, you can consider dropping the password potentially. That makes sense. Because I'm planning on holding on to all my fingers, so. <laughs> Even on the YubiKeys, it, it, you can set it up to ask for a PIN. Yes. You exactly. unlock the device, which you can use for SSH keys and PGP keys and everything else as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that will be another second, like another, an extra factor of a knowledge factor on top, of, on top of the possession factor of the actual YubiKey. So, yeah, you're right. Of course. So I've seen several implementations of this, and I'm curious on your thoughts of, like you said, you could go passwordless if you have that second factor on the device. I've also seen people or certain sites ask for username, password still, plus the device, and others for just a password plus the device. And can you kind of give your two cents on the pros and cons of each of those? Is it just kind of a... On one side, you have ease of use, and on the other side, you have, you know, you could almost go to three-factor uh, on the Yeah, we didn't, got, uh, we didn't get too theoretical, uh, but there's, like, this classification in the authentication factors you can get. There's the possession, the knowledge factors, and the inherent factors. Ideally, I mean, uh, the security you need on your application depends a lot, a lot on what you're defending. For example, it's not the same to have a bank than your Facebook account. There's not the same level of needs. But ideally, any 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 authentication system uh, needs to at least two to be actual actually secure. But ideally, you will have the three of, the three of them, right? You will have something you know, you will have something you possess, and you will have something you are. Any, any any extra layer you add to that, it, it sometimes means uh, a decrease on the user experience, right? If you have to type a password and then go to fetch and fetch your phone for a second, I don't know some OTP code, and then there's an extra thing. Any 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 extra layer you are damaging your user and making it hard to make use yeah. of it, its account. So. I think you need to really evaluate what you're trying to defend from and know there's some acceptable level of basic security where things are good enough. Uh, and and WebAuthn was meant to solve this in the 
most efficient way thinking in both security and user experience? Yeah, I'd say that for for like in nowadays 2020, uh, for any general purpose application, just like having two factor is probably enough. That that's that's what we are see, like what, what we think in general. Uh, it maybe you need to go deeper on what what is a general purpose application, but something that is not like uh, excluding banks uh, or military software or something like that, uh, like. Uh, general application uh, nowadays two two factors sounds like enough and putting a third factor seems like too much like to to like asking too much to your users uh, it seems so for uh, in the past in the in the when uh, when the web was starting uh, the it was common to have just one factor of course just uh, just a password and was this just one factor that with time that and as hacking evolved and um, technology evolved uh, we've seen that uh, that is clear that we need a second factor with with time it's, it's clear that that's needed uh, as like a, as a baseline but uh, going the third factor seems too much for uh, for general purpose applications so uh, I wouldn't recommend a, a web developer working on a regular application to to go all, like more than two. So just focus on the on two factors and think what what you what what those should be. You can mix probably what's a knowledge factor with a with a possession factor probably. So in the in the case of the password and the and the and tapping a device or. You, you see examples everywhere, like when you are go go to an ATM and you have your ATM card, which is a possession factor, and then you type the PIN, which is the knowledge factor, and you're mixing two factors just to, just to authenticate to the ATM. So that that could that, that could be seen everywhere in other examples. Yeah, um, depends a lot also on what you choose as a second factor because that the. The answer to your question is kind of conditionally to what's your actual second factor. For example, SMSs suffer a lot from hacking from many different ways. OTP also have their their risks. So, if yeah, yeah, so something that we uh, maybe is something worth clar clarifying. Uh, I make making emphasis is that. Um, Part of the web of the interaction is that uh, is making making sure that we, we uh, that the the interaction between the user and the and the website is safe from uh, phishing attacks. So uh, and that this is this is a very strong um, improvement in terms of uh, comparing web of ten as a second factor to SMS and OTP, which actually suffer from phishing attacks. So uh, we're talking about a user receiving a fake email uh, that's actually uh, asking them to enter to their bank account. And this is a fake email that is disguising like a real bank account email. And they go to this fake website that is actually the same in terms of look and feel to, the, to their actual bank account uh, website. And if you, if you, if the, if that bank has password and also SMS uh, as a second factor, 
it's still uh, vulnerable to phishing attacks because the attacker can sit in between uh, the real website and the user and the user will receive the SMS code, put it on the fake website and the, and the attacker will actually uh, relay that information to the real bank account website and the user, in order for these phishing attacks uh, not to happen, we are asking our, the, the users to actually realize that the, you, in the address bar of the website, realizing that there is a typo on the, on the URL or something like that. So humans are, we are very bad at, at actually spotting the, those typos, but computers are very good at comparing two strings. So when, when there's a well-thin interaction, these uh, URLs are actually, or these origins are actually compare, and and we are safe that we that that is not happening because that a well-thin device will never return a public uh, a signature when the website doesn't match on in terms of the domain. So that that is one of the big improvements also. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is a big a big issue right uh, nowadays. Uh, one of the most uh, like successful attacks for for hacking accounts. You know, there's there's the password problem, and there's also the the phishing problem. Yeah, that was a really big problem when people really started using mobile devices, and they had the huge long multiple subdomains, and people would only look at the exactly. beginning. Yeah, <laughs> browsers have gotten better, but still, some of them can be so long. I'd imagine they wouldn't fit on the screen. Yeah, browsers try to like uh, highlight the actual domain and uh, disable like like gray out the the subdomain or something like that in order to help users identify this. Uh, but it's still like it will never get perfect, of course. So. If you can get that, like that comparison made by uh, just a computer, it's better, of course. So the argument seems, I mean, I, I've never really had trouble with the WebAuthn argument. There's a lot of improvements made. Um, one of the things is that I've always struggled with is, well, uh, what is it? Like 20% of users or something like that are using second factor authentication at all. So yeah. a, adoption of sort of, non-password things it just seems to be pretty hard like is is webauthn is there data on the kinds of adoption that it's getting like because for example if we achieve this threshold of me having a device that can handle my authentication for me right or um something that can do that if if everybody has that then the user experience is a ton better than having a one-time password thing right it's way better than having it sent to my phone for sure and it's, I use Bitwarden, right? It's better than my password manager doing that for me. So, like, that would be a nice world to move into. Like, how well is that working? Well, actually, we, I mean, we focused mostly on developing the server, the Ruby server side library for that. And that will be a question more like for the actual, uh, systems and applications that have made use of WebAuthn that have adopted WebAuthn uh, and maybe like getting some numbers from uh, big systems like GitHub or or uh, Shopify or Google or Basecamp, for example, trying to see what their use, uh, what percentage of their users have actually registered this kind of security keys. Um, no problem. 
Yeah, I we actually don't have really good numbers about about the. Yeah, we are optimistic about about that, but there is, of course, as you said, the fact that people are not used to some of this uh, some 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 of these security keys or technology. Uh, there are challenges in terms of user experience because some people might find it weird, for example, to get a pop-up from the browser asking for things they were not used to see before. Uh, there are challenges in adoption, but we're, we're still in the early stages. I think. I mean, it's it's widely it's, it's widely supported uh, in terms of browser and platforms, but the the, the next step is websites actually uh us put like supporting this and users getting a, like getting acquainted with this so th this will take some time of course as as anything uh, new there needs to be uh some uh, learning curve for users and for websites uh it, it will take some time we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see how, how this evolves but um so the the promise in terms of user experience is quite a Quite quite exciting. So we're hopeful that that this will will get some very good adoption. And maybe in if uh, we're talking about twenty, thirty, or forty percent, maybe that's uh, very good. Anyway, so we'll see. But uh, thinking thinking in a, in the future that in, if you're on a mobile phone and you're using a web browser, instead of you typing on this very small keyboard, a password, you can just use your face or your fingerprint and you're telling a, like you're asking a user what you what you want better to actually tap a fingerprint reader or type a type a password. Uh, I, I, I I suppose everyone would actually prefer to actually use the fingerprint reader considering that that you're not sending your private information to the to the website that that is a very important thing to understand and maybe it's not very intuitive that when you're actually using your face recognition software you are not sharing the, your face with the with the website that is very maybe not intuitive so maybe the challenge there is to help users understand that they're not relaying this information to the website maybe some won't trust this anyway, despite you telling them. So that that is that is okay. But we'll see. It's, 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 it's in a way there. There's also um, the learning curve in, includes some uh, cultural shift or something like that. In in that sense, in that you get acquainted with this and you start feeling safe after you use a few times. Uh, we'll see. Well, I think you guys poked or posted the uh, use case from even login.gov. And John, mm -hmm. they had some user statistics in there if you haven't seen that yet. But mm -hmm. I think, like you mentioned, there's a nomenclature thing and getting people used to this yeah. because your Android phone could be your device, your Mac could be your device, your uh, external YubiKey could be your device. And those are all going under the name of security key. And yes. if you don't understand that all of those things fit in that bucket. Um, yeah. And that was interesting too, because because it's the government, they can't recommend one particular thing because that's a financial transaction. And so then people don't know, well, where should I go get one of these things? <laughs> uh, but yeah. We've seen uh, we've seen some uh, some discussion around um, 
making like in in the challenge of actually finding a a term that fits like one side fits all. So uh, we've we've seen some discussion around like calling the what what it what what it what are called like the 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 Roman there there this this distinction in the in the spec about uh what roaming authenticators and platform authenticators so you you can think about roaming authenticators the ub the ub key or some, anything that's external to your to your actual uh to where your web browser is running on and then the the touch id or the fingerprint on your android phone is actually a platform authenticator because it's on the same device as your web browser so there's been some discussion maybe uh maybe for users bet is better to to have different names for these two things like giving a giving a different uh, using a term specifically for pla- for platform authenticators something that is embedded in your in your uh laptop or your phone and maybe using a different term for the ub key and those kind of things but there's still no uh like industry standard on how to call the, those devices there there's websites uh actually playing with this and seeing what it's like you're in a sense you you need to do some ux research around this and see how users users feel whether they, they this make them understand better it's more intuitive or they they trust it more if you call, if you have a, a better term for this so it's still, it's still uh uh we need we need to mature in terms of uh nomenclature and maybe user experience a bit to uh, regarding implementations on the websites there's no reason you have to use their nomenclature you could list out all the different types of devices and even check yeah. if they're on chrome and suggest that they use a certain thing or on an android device by the way you can use your device as a as a key yeah you could name it whatever you want like you know on your iphone you could say use your finger thinger but one thing that i'm wondering how do i actually put this into my ruby app or rails app yeah some some ruby discussions um so uh so we, we yeah so what 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 we did was uh build the web of gem ruby gem so uh well with that, we are, what we are trying to do is that the 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 answer to that question is uh, as short as possible, so as easy as possible to to actually implement it. So uh, what the most of the of the things that the web server needs to do to play to actually uh, have this uh, ceremony, like the, the these interactions come together, uh, are actually implemented in this Ruby gem. So. Um, First, if you want to include this in a Ruby application, what you first need to think is what you want WebAuthn to be on your authentication. If you want to use it as a second factor, the, f- the first thing that you need to do probably is when in, 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 in the case that the u- when the user is actually uh, is already sign in, you, you need to provide a, a some some page in which you actually ask your users to register a new security key on your on your if you have already other second factors list uh, you can use you can you can tell your users to register new security keys and then you you need a, a bit of, a couple uh, of js javascript sprinkles and uh, to call these well then apis on the browser and then relay 
all the information that you get on those JavaScript callbacks, just relay that information to the to the backend. And on the backend, you can just call a few methods on the WebAuthn gem, and you will get like a response telling you this is all good, or there's what's a verification error. And that's mostly what you need to do. Uh, after the successful verification, you will get a few pieces of data, mo uh, mainly the public key out of the verification. And then this public key, uh, you need to store it on the, on the database next to your user. Then, on, then, then the, ver the, the, the verification step when the user sign in and you ask the second, the second factor would be a similar interaction in the sense that you need to call another uh, uh, JavaScript API, relay the information again, make a verification, and just finish there. So yeah. there's not a lot that you need to do in terms of uh, code. So if you're doing this on your... Um, on your web app and you have already, let's say SMS as a second factor, uh, I would, I, I'd say that the pull request that you will have to, to make to include this as another second, fact, second factor, it wouldn't be too big, I'd say, the pull request. Yeah, that, uh, it's important to note that what console, it, it, it wouldn't be too big in the context of you using the gem. Uh, yeah, because if you go on your own trip to implement all of this yourselves, well, uh, it's gonna get complex. The, yeah. the the standard defines a set of twenty. Oh no, I'm lazy. I want to use your gem. <laughs> That's what I wanted to know about. Yeah, it's it's a it's a heavy. It's a lot of cryptographic uh, cryptographic heavy lifting you need to do. Uh, there are examples of people that has gone the wrong way. For example, there's uh, this this course pull request we have been following with when someone it's already integrated, it's already done. They they did it uh, all manually, and and it's good to see how people do it. And there's of course people that have used the gem, and in those versions it has ended up being pretty short in terms of code and 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 efforts. So yeah. I, I've seen I've seen uh, maybe longer pull requests uh, if you need to migrate from U to F to Authen. So Authen is uh, backwards compatible with U to F, which is a great thing because you, you you can just migrate your. So if your users were using U to F uh, keys to as a second factor, uh, you can still continue supporting that. But of course, if you're reaching that in your application and you, you need to, like, your pull request will be a bit longer because you need some migration happening. And in order to support both things at the same time, but it's possible. So the, the good thing is that you can migrate. You don't need to be to make backward incompatible changes. Yeah. Uh, um, there's also the fact that, I mean, we tried to document a lot in, in, in the gem itself to uh, answer this question for our users. Like, yeah, their first approach to well then we we tried to leave as much resources and 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 they're kind of building a recipe for them to be able to implement the the well then in in their in their own systems we have also built uh demo applications that are blank sheet applications with just the necessary code to have this in in in, a, in an application is there the applications are plain registration and signing and nothing else. So it's it's good for them to to check out how it's done there. 
uh, we are currently building an, a, a version of that application that it, it uses it as a second factor for people that are going that way. Yeah. And there's also many other uh, folks that have, like, for example, uh, written blog posts on what was their experience uh, while using the gem and, and adding WebAuthn, which is actually great. There And there's a bunch of other pull requests around there you, for for. For example, the RubyGems.org, there's, we, we have done a pull request to add that to RubyGems, which is good to use as an example to how, I mean, what amount of changes, code, efforts you need to, to do something like this. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of examples around there. You can check out and see the amount of effort you'll dedicate. Yeah, I looked at the diff on the RubyGems and it's not a great deal. I was pleasantly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We hopefully will be able to have such technology there soon. Why has that not gotten integrated yet? Oh, well, yeah, that's uh, maybe this, it's a time of uh, we actually didn't get much feedback, to be honest. Uh, but uh, maybe the, I'm, I'm sure they're really busy, so it's not. Uh, it's not. I mean, we we tried to do it. That's. It was at the, at the same time we had some problems. Um, some gem owners had been uh, recently uh, hacked and they were pushing like some malicious version of well-known gems. I don't know if you remember, it was like a raid of that some quite a few months ago. And it was like, it came to our eyes and said, we, we should, we should add the web of end to, the, to, to Ruby gems. And it was, it, it was, met, it was, it looked like the right thing to do. Uh, it was a good example for, for adoption, you know, it was like if if we do this, and and it will also lead the the path to other people trying to add this technology, and at the same time we're doing something good for the community. So, uh, but uh, yeah, probably um, uh, we're waiting for feed, for feedback. So we'll, yeah, uh, I guess that yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, at the same time, RubyGems.org uh, made some great improvements around security. For example, uh, it wasn't happening before, but right now, when there's a new gem push to RubyGems, every owner of the gem gets an email letting them know that something has been pushed. Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't happening before, so that, that made these attacks easier in the past because uh, a hacker could get into the account of one of the Ruby gem owners of the of this of a particular gem and they would silently push these new gems and the owners wouldn't know about so right now for, for example just sending an email to the, to the all the owners telling them about this new version that is a great improvement uh, so yeah of course yeah yeah they have tackled that problem in different ways yeah we, we try to contribute with one that maybe it, yeah. will, it will be the case. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, of course, most security is in the human domain. <laughs> That's where most of the breaches occur. Since you've gone through this process, one thing that I was curious on, there were a couple of labels um, on each of the libraries. One is uh, Fido certified and Fido conformant. Can you talk as to the difference between those two? It, yeah. So, in some other language or something like that? Sure. Uh, so. So as we were saying, uh, the, the, the World of N standard uh, was uh, written uh, between like, uh, it was an alliance between the FIDO alliance and, and, and the, well, the W3C. And at the same time, the FIDO alliance wrote 
this, um, this tool that has a lot of tests that you can run against your implementation. It could be the library implementation or it's, it's, it's uh, against a web server that, that in our case, it's a, it's a web server that runs our, lib our library, our Ruby library. And you can ha run this tool against your server and it will tell you how many of the, like the tests are passing. Right, so this is this was built by the Fido Alliance in order for you to assess what how 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 conformant you are uh, against the spec. So if you get all the tests passing on that um, on that tool, you can be labeled uh, Fido conformant. To be Fido certified, you need to actually uh, make an investment and actually go through a, like a more formal certification process, uh, which to be honest, I don't know exactly how it works, but it's more involved and uh, you need to, um, yeah, actually start like have more interactions with the Fire Alliance and actually go to certify your product. Uh, I think that this is more interesting probably for uh, authentic for actual devices. So for for the you authenticator or the security keys, but they need to be certified by the by the Fire Alliance. Uh, in our case, for a Ruby for a Ruby open source library, uh, we focus on running this test tool against this, our our library, and actually uh, we're able. Um, a few months ago to, to actually pass all the tests and, and be labeled FIDO conformant. Um, yeah. Also news. shout shout out to uh, Bart Dewater from Shopify who helped a lot in the development of this gem and in particular with uh, with with making the with the Ruby gem FIDO uh, conformant. So yeah uh, thank thank you uh, uh, Bart uh, for for that, he's been an amazing contributor to the to the Ruby to the world and Ruby gem. Yeah, the good news is like if you, as as Gonzalo said, um, as a gem developers, we we are uh, very interested in taking in in, in going like conf, uh, in going certified. But uh, the good news is like if you're a a, a big application, uh, you're a big company having this application, and you add the gem. The process of getting certified, taking into account that the gem is conformant, should be uh, easier than if you go your own way. Yeah. So you have at least, um, I don't know, some already path uh, done for you. So uh, a follow-up to some of our earlier questions. So uh, you guys have written this Ruby gem or whatever, so you can do this authentication. What's the ecosystem like, or what about people that are using, you know, device or uh, other sorcery, mm -hmm. whatever, that's an older one. But what about those people? Like how, what are integrations like? Are there a ton of tutorials that you guys have seen? Are they kind of rare? What's it, what's it look like? So right, right now, um, it's, so the, the Ruby gem is complement. It's a complement to all, to, to all those tools. They're, they're not getting in the way of, of device or, or, um, any other uh, Ruby authentication library right now. The footprint of the World of Gem is not that big and you can just add it. If you're using device and you, and you, you can add it and, and probably uh, just complement it right now. 
we, we, we've been adding WebAuthn as a second factor on Rails application that, that had device and it wasn't uh, uh, actually an issue. Uh, it, it would just, you would add some code and it, it will complement what, what you had already. Sure. But it's, so, I mean, you're probably so, hooking in, right, is what I'm guessing. Seconds, sorry. Sorry, you're probably hooking into some of the uh, lower level device things in order to make that happen, right? Uh, so it, it I guess that uh, it depends on how many of the device modules you have enabled, I, I'd say, but because device. So if you if you are using, uh, we've been, for, for example, enabling uh, this on a Rails application that, that had device for, uh, for the password, uh, for, for the password authentication. Um, so this can see on the, on the, on the, as a second factor uh, coming after that. So there's no actual uh, integration, like, like you would just plug this into a device enabled application and it will work out of the, out of the box. Maybe that's something that can be ex explored uh, in the future, or maybe someone wants to tackle that. But there's no right now. It's not that you have you plug it. You, you, it's a plugin, plug and play, uh, and it sits inside device, like integrated into device right now. Yeah, we, you can still do. You, you, you can still do. It's not. It's not uh, that it's incompatible with device. We have the plan. We have the plan to build such extension, and I have uh, worked and experiment around that as uh, in the past, and 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 I'm still have the plan to actually build it. I, to be honest, I haven't had the proper time to sit down and actually go all the way through, but it's it's in it's in my way. Yeah, my understanding with other systems like Authy, for example, which is run by Twilio, is that essentially it just sits. So right after you authenticate with your password, then it just sits as the next step in the workflow. And so it seems like this would kind of do the same thing. And yeah. if you can't if you can't properly give the second factor authentication, then it just logs you back out. Yeah, the the only uh, Ruby authentication framework that we know that has this uh, actually integrated and working out of the box is uh, Rod Auth from uh, Jeremy Jeremy Evans. Uh, he recently uh, released. Uh, a version from uh, his gem, uh, this uh, rollout gem with WebAuthn support using the WebAuthn gem. I, I haven't had a lot of time to check it out, but I know this ha ha has happened. And yeah, it's something that maybe people want, want to exp explore if they are building their application from scratch and they are actually looking for uh, WebAuthn support from scratch. Maybe that's something that interesting to explore. Yeah, it looks like there's plenty of space for more articles and possibly wiki pages, too. Yeah, I noticed there's a Rodoth Rails gem as well for pulling it straight into Rails, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's also the, I mean, the fact that the gem is agnostic to, for example, to even to Rails. So there's things uh, that you, in the context of a Rails application, regardless of uh, any authentication device, you actually need to take care of yourself. Uh, for example, as Gonzalo mentioned earlier, you need to store the credential, the public key next to your user, whatever that means for you. And there's other information you actually need to keep yourself in the most, uh, in, the, in the way you see fit. 
but we know that most of our users are probably going to come from the Rails ecosystem. So there's also the plan in, in our in our future. I mean, near future to uh, have dedicate time to build some uh, wrapper around Active Record uh, and Active Record implementation that gives you the basic generators and put some tables, handle some interactions, and you just say, hey, here, here's my user model, do the rest for me, and, and we will do it. And uh, that's, in a way, probably earlier than, than any other device or specific authentication framework work. Yeah. That's what I would expect, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, as, as time uh, passes, we, we see... Uh, we see like uh, repeated patterns on different applications, which makes you think like this can be generalized and actually made part of the gem so that you continue to construct layers that provide more abstraction to the user. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's it's sometimes we, we want to do a lot of things and the time is it's it's tricky to find to actually dedicate us full time to this. Yep. Have you heard of Atwood's Law? He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript. And that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com. All right, well, I'm going to push us to picks. Um, we've, we've already gone uh, pretty much right up to the scheduled time, and we like to shout out about stuff. So uh, I'm going to make Matt go first. Matt, do you have some picks? You know, I wasn't prepared, but in light of the conversation, my pick is YubiKey. Nice. Can we get a link to that in the chat for the show notes? Yeah, I can pop that in there. All right, John, what are your picks? So I've got one this week. Um, I've been doing a freaking ton of gardening and other outside things recently. And it um, it is now summer in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's warm and toasty. And you need to drink a lot of water under those conditions. And so uh, since I've been outside for like long periods of time, I've been filling my freaking swell bottle. And so I I dug that out of the closet and I've been super happy. But like I I leave this thing outside for like, it's like one of those vacuum seal bottles. I know there's tons of like knockoffs and things like this. I got this one a while ago. I've been pretty happy with it. But yeah, I freaking leave this thing outside for like eight hours and you know it's freezing cold uh in like direct sun and like on a 90 degree day i know that i did it i left it in a car once a few years ago on a 100 plus degree day and came back out after work after eight hours or whatever and like my ice had barely melted so just uh you know when you're like trying to drink water like use good tools to drink your freaking water nice dave what are your picks my first pick is carbon.now.sh. It allows you to generate really nice code snippet images. So that's my first pick. I found it and it's pretty cool. And my second pick is Rubidium, which is a project that I've been working on for creating reusable and shareable snippets of code. So it essentially will allow you to have an existing application. And if you want to add a feature or functionality into there. You just search for a template and then you run a single command and it'll go through the normal Rails template stuff and it'll apply it to your application. And so I've been building in a lot of new features 
it's kind of like turning out to be more like a GitHub kind of thing where you can create your repository. You can then do code changes. It'll give you diffs between the codes, uh, versions and stuff. So it's been a fun project and it's starting to gain some momentum. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw in a couple of things that I'm working on. One is Rails Remote Conf. I think I mentioned that before. It's going to be in August. Uh, CFP is open until sometime in July or maybe June 30th. I don't remember. Go look at the website, railsremoteconf.com. And um, yeah, then I'm also going to throw out a couple of other picks that I've got going on. And these are all projects that I'm working on. Um, One of them is Podsurge, podsurge.com. I think there's a landing page up for it right now. Um, but I'm really working to get together some information. It's going to be kind of like Railscasts or Drifting Ruby, except for podcasters. And so I'm looking to just do a couple videos a week and you know give people something to pay for. Um, and then I'm also doing something very similar, except it's audio only for uh, developers. And so you'll be able to get... And you, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to just wind up putting up authenticated RSS feeds and things like that. Um, so you can get it in your podcast app or you can just use the Codineer app, but it's going to be Codineer.com. And uh, so, yeah, so right now those are all landing pages, but I would love if you're interested in them to go and uh, have you actually put your information in so I can let you know when it launches. But yeah, I'm working on both of those. And uh, yeah, we'll see where we wind up with that kind of stuff. Gonzalo, do you want to go next? Thanks. What, what, what? So just shout out about stuff that you love. Uh, it could be a TV show. It could be a water bottle. It could be, um, you know, whatever. Anything that's making your life better. Maybe while he thinks I can go. Um, yeah, go for it. Sure. Uh, I, have, uh, I have realized yesterday on Twitter that GitHub has this client uh, that allows you to, to, for example, approve pull requests or interact with any, a bunch of uh, GitHub uh, Pages like I mean with like in in your workflow, it's it's really useful for for example when someone in Slack asks you to approve the pull request or I don't know whatever, and you need to do some quick action and like in the context switching, it's kind of a lot. I have realized that this client exists, so I'm very excited and I started using it. It's pretty useful. Nice. So uh, I can show the. to Proform treadmills. I got one two months ago and it's been my, it's, it's been making my life uh, better in these times. So uh, being able to stay fit uh, in home. So Proform treadmills, it's been, it's been great so far. <laughs> awesome. All right. If people want to connect with you guys online, where do they go? Probably the the easiest way to get to us is through or the company website, which is c.cog.com. Or yeah, you can reach us out in, in there. There's our Twitter handles, LinkedIn, GitHub accounts, everything. It's in the it's in the company website. But there's yeah, you can get to us through all those channels: LinkedIn, GitHub, Twitter. We'll be glad to uh, yeah have a have a chat. Answer well and questions for everybody. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming. This was really interesting. Awesome. Yeah, glad to be here. It's it's an honor that you invited us. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. A pleasure to be on your show and to discuss this and to spread the word. So thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. All right, folks. We're gonna wrap this up. Until next time, Max out. All right. Talk to you Take later. Care. Thank, thank you. you. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.